Elder Cheryl Williams, as she called Am I on? Amen. Amen. You know what? Let's rejoice because God loves this house. God loves this house. everybody. He loves all his churches. He, he, but you know, you ever been when you were a child? You know when you're the favorite one? He, they, you know grandma loved everybody. <laughs> but you know man, let's get into the word of God. Father God in the name of Jesus we thank you tonight for this word. We thank you Lord God that these your people are good ground for the seed of the word tonight. We thank you Lord God for the pastors and the angel, the apostle of this house, Lord, and in their absence, we still, Lord, we want to honor them. We thank you for them, Lord God. Now, right now, I thank you for this opportunity that, they, that they've given me through you. So in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord God, for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your anointing. And let nothing that comes out of my mouth be not of you. That everything that comes out will be of you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. It'll bless the people. Amen. Amen. But God loves this house. I'm sorry, I don't know what you're saying. Mama Kim, because on Sunday, boy, she got up here and, and, and paved the way yes. for this word. Did she not? Yes. Did she not? Yes. And I said, oh, Lord, there's someone uh, sitting next to me. I said, oh, my God, that's, that's it right there. That's the message. That's the word. Yes. When the 2 Corinthians chapter 8, God laid this on my heart j just to sh share a word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV for this particular part of it. Second Corinthians chapter eight. Um, because this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church about the Macedonian church or the church at Philippi about their generosity and their giving. <laughs> that, what did my brother just say? About their generosity and their giving. And they had severe trials, but it said that they gave even through all of that. Amen? So that's our word tonight. Amen? Amen. 8 verse 1. And so I'm here to encourage you. Just encourage, be encouraged. It says, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up 
and generosity. It welled up. The joy welled up, even though they were going through. <laughs> For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, for the privilege, privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Oh my God, here we go. <laughs> and they did, and, uh, and they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made uh, a beginning, to bring also uh, to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel, this is our word, exceeding grace. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace giving. See that you excel in grace giving because that's what's going to get you through. Amen. Amen. Now listen, verse 80 says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test <laughs> the sincerity of your love by comparing it with earnestness for others. Now we know this because... Our pastor has been teaching us this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, listen to this kingdom exchange, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work. Look at someone and say, finish the work. Finish the work. No matter what you go through, no matter what he tries to bring to you, you have to make up in your heart, make up in your mind, I'm going to finish this work. I'm going to finish this work. If anybody knows about severe trials, I'm not moaning and complaining, I'm just sharing. Um, the last couple of years, I've been through some severe trials. Some of you know and some of you don't. Illness, family illness, my, pat, my father uh, transitioned to heaven. My mother had a stroke at 84, and they told me that, um, you know, they don't even know how she made it on her right side and her left side. But God, but God. So though the trials may have been severe, you don't give up. You don't quit. Mama Kim stood up here Sunday, and that's what she said. Don't quit. Don't quit. You never know. That's why I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but that's why it's so important for us to love one another. Because you don't know what people are going through when they come in here. That's what we need to be embraced, to be loved. My father had transitioned, and I tell you, I saw uh, some of the saints at the funeral. I came out, and it was <laughs> some trials, fiery trials was going on in the back. <laughs> yeah, 
And I stepped out, and I saw my spiritual father. My heavenly father was behind me right here. But my, new, my spiritual father, because I hadn't been here that long. And he came out. <laughs> and the joy that welled up in my heart, it meant so much to me. He will never know what that meant to me. And so you can keep going. You can keep going. You can finish your work. Hallelujah. So it says, verse 11, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion on it according to your means. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. It says according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Not according to what you don't have. So write this down if you're taking notes. Finish the work. Number one, keep your joy up. Keep your joy up. Number two, follow directions and instructions. Follow directions and instructions. And number three, commit to living a life of honor. Now, I'm giving you this just the way the Lord gave it to me, so I'm going to go back. So, number one, keep your joy up. Number two, follow directions and instructions. And number three, commit to live a life of honor. Hallelujah. Commit to live a life of honor. Okay. Verse 2 talks about the severe trials. And Pastor Kim, Mama Kim, <laughs> you could see the righteous indignation in her. Mighty on Sunday, talking about that. Because the enemy just, is just trying to stop you. But nothing can stop you. Because the Lord told me in verse 11, he wouldn't tell you to finish something that you couldn't finish. He would never tell you to do something that you couldn't do. Amen. Verses 8 and 9. I'm kind of skipping around here a bit because i got to get moving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. He didn't say test the sincerity of your membership, but of your love, of your love of God. Your love of, of your man and woman of God, the love of this house. Gener God tests it with money. Why? Because money represents your time. And you exchange your time for money. So he says, this is how he'll test you. So he's going to give us more and more and more opportunity to be generous. And it's not all the time money. Sometimes people need clothes. Sometimes people need furniture. Sometimes whatever it is that you can give, that you can be a blessing, that you can be generous. I'm on this thing right now about cleaning my house and just getting, getting rid of all everything that's not needed. Why? So he can bless you more and more. More and more. That's right. Make room. 
let's go to um, 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Go to Luke 6.38. Luke 6.38. I saw this the other day. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So as I was thinking about it, he said, generosity giving. So every time you give, somebody say, press down, down. shaking together, together. running over. over. It's coming back to me. Okay, so then you give again. Press down, shaking together, running over, it's coming back to me. So I give again. It's a cycle. It's a kingdom system. It's a cycle. Press down, shaking together, running over, it's coming back to me. I give again. And so on, and so on, and so press down, shaking together, and running over, it's going to be given back to me. So now listen, because <laughs> he said, I said the wellspring of joy from verse 2. He said, yeah, because every time I give back to you, you're getting more and more. You're seeing that word work. You're seeing it work. And, and it's coming up and up. And that'll give you some joy. That'll give you some joy. So don't give up. Don't give up. I don't care if it's a quarter. I don't care if it's 50 cents. Two dollars. Bring something. Be generous. Do it. I was so blessed the other day. Mama Kim. She, they gave a testimony. She said, I told the woman, she said, give a quarter. Give a quarter. Partnering. Yeah, Lord, I'll say that. Partnering is so important. It's so key. It's so key because you locked in. I heard Pastor say a word the other day. He said, when you're connected properly. He said, when you're properly connected. See, light bulb, that went off. That went, that went off in me. I was needing a, um, an appliance at my house. And um, he had talked that Sunday about partnering. So I, I said, okay, I'm gonna make up my mind. I, I'm gonna give this amount and I'm gonna do it every month. I just need to make a decision. So I looked at this appliance and it was a couple thousand dollars and then I found a few more for a little less. And so I partnered that Monday. Wednesday morning, I came to prayer. He said, go, the Holy Spirit said, go to prayer and then go get the stone. <laughs> I went in there. And what I wanted, it fit properly. I, they didn't have to do any adjustments to my home or anything. Went in there, found what I needed for a quarter of what they charged for. Went back to the same place I had gone a couple weeks ago. He said, don't buy it now. Don't buy it now. So I asked the man, the salesman, he said, I don't know what happened. He said, Monday, they came in just marking stuff down like they was crazy. I partnered Sunday, Wednesday. It was at my house. Immediate. Come on now. You can't beat this thing. You can't beat this thing. 
So press down, shaking together, and running over, it'll be measured back to you. Now, Proverbs 19.17, please. Proverbs 19.17, and we're going to move on. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. He will reward them. May I have that in the Passion Translation, please? Proverbs 19.17. Every time you give to the poor, you make a loan to the Lord. Don't worry. You'll be repaid in full all the good you've done. Say, I'm going to be generous while I finish the work. Amen. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. And I'm going here because he said, what I want you to let them know is it doesn't matter where they are in their life. In 2 Kings chapter 4, when we look at verses 1 through 8, it's a scenario or a situation with a poor woman. And we um, go through, I don't know, 1 through 7, I'm sorry, it's a poor woman. And then when you start at verse 8, it's a wealthy woman. Am I right? Let's look. So he says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are, where you start. I'm not going to leave you. I've called you to finish this work. So, so let's get it finished. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Second Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man, verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Yeah, let me set this up. She, she went to her man of God. She knew where to go. She listened. She in, entreated him. <laughs> she said, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Now, I don't know. Um, I used to work for a Jewish doctor. And I, and I do know that culturally, in those days, the men made decisions. So here is a woman who's poor in a situation, maybe not of her own doing. You understand what I'm saying? So, so it doesn't matter. Sometimes you can be in a situation that someone did you wrong. But here's God. It doesn't matter how she got there. He's taking care of it. So the creditors want to come and take her boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, we've heard that preached, you know, so many times, what you got in the house. But listen to this. She said, your servant has nothing there at all. That's what she said at first. Because <laughs> she didn't consider this little bit of oil to be anything useful in the hands of an almighty God. She said, your ser servant has nothing there at all, she said. Oh, you know, it's like an afterthought. See that comma? Except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Listen to the directions. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. 
Now listen to her instructions. He said, go around and ask your neighbors for jars. In other words, here's something that people did not need or they didn't think it was valuable enough. So I said, yeah, here, have it. I got some jars here, here, have it. Take it. Take it in the empty jars. Yeah. Lord, God says, I'll take something that other people don't value and make you rich. I'll take something that other people throw away or that other people discard and make you rich. But we got to believe that. We got to believe that. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Now understand that a door is a place of transition. A door is a place of transition. You go through that door, you're going to transition from inside this church to outside. A door is a place of transition. He told her to close the door. The other thing means it was private. He told her and her sons, go in there, get the jars, and pour the oil. She was so busy doing what she was told to do. Pouring the oil, pouring the oil, pouring the oil. She said, hand me another one. He said, look, Mom, we, we out. We, we, we out. Yeah, I'll say that. When you receive instructions and directions and God is trying to make you rich, he said, close the door. You know, some of us talk too much. Maybe God is training you, teaching you, sending you to business by the book. You talk too much. Get on what I told you to do. Hush your mouth so you can finish the work. They had the old rap song years ago. You talk too much, homegirl. You never shut up. But there are times he's saying, be quiet. Just do what I told you to do and be quiet. He said, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour into all the jars as each is filled. Put it to one side. Verse 5, her instructions. Verse 5. She left and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were filled, she said to her son, bring me another one. Then he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. See, he said, go to your neighbors. I think I might have gone to the next city over. <laughs> See how many jars I could get. They'd, we'd been pouring all night. So it says, then the oil stopped. She followed the directions. She completed the directions. She went and told the man, she went back to the man of God. See, so God is not talking. He said, you haven't done what he told you to do first. There's nothing else to say. There's not another direction to give until you've done the first thing that he told you to do. And not only do it, but do it the way he told you to do. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, comma, sell the oil, and pay your debts. 
you and your sons can live on what is left. Poor. No money. The creditors at her house ready to lock up her sons. <laughs> Basically. Mission accomplished. Okay? See, so verse 7 was what she needed. That was the expected end right there. Go to verse 8. Now, the Shunammite woman was a wealthy woman. You can tell that. She had servants. She's telling her husband, let's build a room for the, <laughs> for the prophet. You better know she had an anointing, right? Because it's not everyone going to their husband's house, babe. You know, it's this preacher that come to town every couple months. Let's build him a room and let him stay at our house. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> you know she was anointed. <laughs> come back, come back, come back, come back. One day, Elijah went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman, there it is, was there, who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make him a small room on the roof and put in a, a bed and a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. Look, and he had an assistant. <laughs> One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay there. He said to his servant Gehazi, 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 uh, call the Shunammite. So he called her, and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. You have been so generous to us. Now, what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my people. That represented wealth. No, I don't need, I don't need I'm good. Financially. She was good. That's what that means. I have a home among my own people. What can, uh, what can be done for her, Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son, and her husband is old. She married some old money. <laughs> then, <laughs> then Elisha said, call her. I'm just making sure y'all still awake. So he called her, and she stood in the doorway. She stood in the doorway. She stood in a place of transition. Now, <laughs> then Elisha said to her, so he called her, she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. She said, no, my Lord. She objected. Don't mislead your servant, man of God. She couldn't believe it. She knew what she was dealing with. But the woman became pregnant. And the, and the next year, about the same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew, and one day he went outside with his father. He was with the reapers, servants. 
my head, my head, he said to his father. His father told the servant, keep letting you know they're rich, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. You holding your baby on your lap all morning until noon, and then he died. If that's not a severe trial. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and then shut the door. Stay with me. And went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and the donkey so I can go to the man of God and quickly return. I'm going to get my man of God. I had to go talk to him. The husband says, why go to him today? He asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It wasn't Sunday. It wasn't time to go to church, in other words. It's all right, she said. She, she didn't even tell her husband. She didn't even tell him. Come on now. We got to catch that. He had enough to deal with out there with a the certain. And right, and you don't, she didn't speak it. I'm going there. <laughs> it's all right, she said. She sat on the donkey and said to her servant, lead on. Don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God on Mount Carmel. Listen, when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? The Lord said, let me know. This woman stayed in her place. She did what she was going to do. In other words, she was somewhere that she wasn't normally. During that time of day, she, was, she wasn't. Something wrong. Something wrong. She had a particular pattern. She had a consistency. She had something that she did on a regular basis. So when the man of God saw her somewhere else, what's wrong? When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she looked, I'm sorry, where am I? He saw in the distance and came to the man of God. He said, look, there's the Shunammite woman. Run, I'm at verse 26. Run to meet her and ask her, is everything all right? She said, everything is all right, she said. She's still standing. She's standing in faith. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. Her, her prophet, her man of God knows her. Your man of God knows you. Your woman of God knows you. You can walk in here and pretend if you want to. They know. Mama Kim talked to you in your dreams. <laughs> they know. Mm -hmm. So, verse 27. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. 
Then here she comes in verse 28. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hand. She said, don't play with me. <laughs> don't play with me like that. You know, I gave me a baby. I love this baby. And now he's gone. Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your cloak into your belt. Take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Now, Gehazi had to follow instructions too. It's important. It's important. The man of God, the woman of God, they give you something to do. He didn't say stop and talk to anybody. He said run. No, he said tuck your cloak and run. See, all of these instructions, all of these directions is key to the expected end. It's very key. So you took the cloak in, tuck the cloak in your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord live and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. In other words, she told the man of God, I'm not leaving you. I, I, th I need you to come back here. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face. But there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and told him, the boy has not awakened. When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on the couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay upon the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. What did we do? What did our pastor just teach us? He did as his God. As he stretched himself out upon him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out upon him. And once more, the boy sneezed seven times. Some of you got that. He sneezed seven times. Why was it important to say how many times he sneezed? If he sneezed, he sneezed. But he said he sneezed seven times. Hallelujah. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said to him, call the Shunammite. And he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. Mission accomplished. Answer. Now she can finish her work. She didn't freak out. She, followed, she knew where to go. She followed instructions, and she got it done. Amen? Amen? Now, so I told you about following instructions. Now, live a life of honor. Got to live a life of honor. Honor. Honor means that we value something. We place importance on something. We have to honor God 
We have to honor his people. We have to honor the things of God. And we have to honor the house of God. Honor. That's how we're going to finish the work. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Well, you know what? Hold that. I'm sorry. Go to Proverbs 3 first. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. And then go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. So Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. King James says with all your increase. It says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor. That's how important that is, honor. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now here in 1 Samuel, we're talking about Eli, the priest and his sons. And his sons, when you have chance go back and read that account but the sons were dishonoring the house of God they were doing any and everything in there and Eli let it go on first Samuel chapter 2 you know go to what 30 can you find it you waiting on me am I waiting okay first Samuel chapter 2 verse 30 Okay, thank you. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. Now go back to verse 27, please. When you dishonor, discredit, despise the things of God. He said, I can't honor you. I want to honor you. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is verse 27, this is what the Lord says, did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offering presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. Some, you know what? There are people who, who put their children before God. And God says, that's dishonor. You're dishonoring me. We can't put anything before God. My children got to go to school. They can't come to Bible study every week.
this was at another church, and I'm being serious, it was another place, but there was a woman, and um, she would say that, but her daughter couldn't read. She couldn't read, because she kept her home with a tutor. And I had to tell her that. She started bringing her to church. Switch. You had to honor God with this child. And we got to understand, people, that when you honor God, it falls on your children. It blesses your children. It blesses your children. It's far-reaching to your children and your grandchildren. So we can't put them before God. We got to hear God. Well, I want this and that and that. Okay, you better hear God. All you need is this and that. But that, that, and that, no. We got to hear God. That's a part of honoring God. Because when they see you dishonoring God, see, they might not call it that, but they're watching you. They see what you're doing. And then you raise them to dishonor God. It's tight, but it's right. So Eli's son lacked discretion. They lacked discernment and despised the thing of, things of God. Now let me, let, yeah, yeah, Lord, I'll say that. Now when you've done the best you could raising your children and you know you've done the best you can do and the enemy comes after them, that's different, okay? But I'm talking about what you're teaching them, what you're pouring into them, teach them to honor God. We got to honor the people of God. Turn to 1 Peter 2.17, please. 1 Peter 2.17. Honor the people of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor or honor the king. Not only people in this house, but our man and woman of God. We got to honor them. Exactly. The Bible says they do double honor. I've been in some large ministries, and I'm telling you, we have some solid, sold-out folks who love God, and they go far and above beyond the call of duty as compared to a lot of others. And I'm going to leave that right there. The other Monday, Rosh Hashanah, pastor called a special service, and it was on a Monday night. And people decided that it wasn't worth their time. This man, this man of God could have went in his dining room with his immediate family and shared that and been done. But he loved us enough. He loved us enough. Because that word changed my life. I'm 55 years old. Been to Bible school, and that word changed my life and the life of my family. And we didn't think enough to, now if you had to work or that kind of thing, but, but don't dishonor a special service or a special time that he calls because it's for a reason. They love us. They love this place. They give themselves like some of us, some of us know, but then some of us, some we don't know, we don't have a clue of how they love God and how they're willing 
to bless this house. Because I'm telling you, a lot of I'm talking big names. They, don't, they had insecurity and walk on out and go on and won't see you till the next time they're on the stage. But anyway. <laughs> Second Corinthians 7 and 2. Second Corinthians 7 and 2. <laughs> this is Paul, and this is in that chapter prior to uh, chapter 8. He says, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. And the Lord told me, he said, honor, that's what that is. You make room for them in your hearts. Make room for them in your hearts. And if you made some room last year, guess what? This year, make some more. And if you made some room, I don't know, some of y'all been here 10, 12, I don't know, 15, 12, make, make some more. And there are people who've been making room for their heart more and more and more. And watch the blessing that God has for you. But honor means making room in your heart for them. Amen? Look at Leviticus chapter 26. I'm going to wrap this up. Look, Leviticus chapter 26. So we're going to make room for them in our hearts. Honor them. Leviticus 26 and 2. I'm sorry. There I go again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. We got to honor the house of God. Let's look at... Um, Go over to Job 36. Job 36. Starting at verse 5 through 12. <laughs> Job 36. God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. He does not keep the wicked alive but gives the afflicted their rights. He does not take his eyes off the righteous. He enthrones them with kings and exalts them forever. But if people are bound in chains, held fast by cords of affliction, he tells them what they have done and they have sinned arrogantly. He makes them listen to correction and commands them to repent of their evil. If they obey and serve him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and their years in contentment. But if they do not listen, they will perish by the sword and die without knowledge. Look at someone and say, finish the work. Finish the work. Follow instructions. Follow directions. Let's get this job done. Decide to live a life of honor, and you will be blessed. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Come on, give her a hand. Hallelujah. Let's finish this job. Hallelujah. All right.
Ready for some more? All right. Next, our next mighty man coming up is Minister Jeff Walton. Give him a hand as he come. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> I too want to honor our parents of this house uh, for this opportunity to stand before you. I count it as a privilege and an honor to do this. Uh, so let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this time now, Lord God. We ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds as we surrender unto you, Father. I ask right now that you use me, speak through me, that I may say what you say and do what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's be seated. Truly, these last few months have been like an avalanche of revelation and word given, life-changing words, um, so much so that when pastor asked me to speak, it was an honor, but it was, it was also scary because <laughs> it's just been so much, you know, um, for anybody who's ever spoke before, um, one thing I've I've always wanted to do is honor those who asked me to come and speak um, and, and not let them down, not just get up and shuck and jive. Because I understand the importance of speaking the truth of God's word and not just get up here and put on a show. So um, again, it was with the way pastors, both pastors have been preaching lately. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm leaning on you to do what you do. <laughs> uh, and I'm so glad that this is not a house of competition. <laughs> mm. So I don't have to get up and try to do better than, than the elder. I don't have to get up and try to match Pastor John or Pastor Kim. All I have to do is get up and speak the word. Thus says the Lord. Amen. Amen. Not to prolong this any longer. Um, Shana Toba. Amen. 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 Let's get right into this. Um, this word came to me some time ago, actually, um, and we worked with this word in our, in our flight group. Um, and, you know, when it first came, it was just, again, this revelation because of all that we've been getting. And, um, you know, when it first came, the first part of this came, it's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you say. I don't really know where you're going with it, but I'm going to do what you say. So I did, um, and we shared it in a group, and it deals, I'm going to just tell you, it deals with a mirror. It deals with a mirror. Um, men and women both use mirrors in life, you know, uh, especially when you're getting up and getting ready to go, start your day or whatever it is. You use a mirror. Why do you use a mirror? Because you want to see what you look like, right? And not only that, that's not the only time we use mirrors. We also use mirrors uh, when there's something pointed out to us that's on us that we can't see. Because even though we have this great vision and so forth, there's something about our vision won't allow our, allow our eyes to go outside of their sockets and look at us. <laughs> it won't. So we have to use something to give a reflection of what we look like. So we use mirrors for that. And as this was given to me, and you know, we went through a whole little series in our flight group, and it's like it was amazing because as we went through everything, God brought me to the end of it, and he said, see, son, I was talking about the mirror. Everything you said, everything I gave you to say was important to say, but I was really talking about the mirror. 
And in the mirror, um, what he showed me was, the mirror is my word. It's my word. You see, when we, when we, when we get these powerful words, you know, that are shared with us in his house and so forth, it's very easy, especially if you have gone through something or you may be going through something, it's so easy to get an emotional high because it fits where you're at or where you've been. And, and, and not that that's totally wrong, but what happens is with an emotional high, it's just like a natural high, it will eventually come down. So, so what do... What, what would an addict do when they get a high and the high wears off? And the Lord said to me, son, what if you stayed in my mirror and stay high on me? Because the truth is everything you need is in my mirror. Now, the beautiful thing about this mirror when we talk about the word of God is when you look at the Word of God, when you read and study the Word of God, whatever the Word is saying, it should reflect back on you. So this mirror is not like the natural mirror where you get up and you see your natural self. See, when you look in this mirror, you need to see God's reflection reflecting back on you. It's a measurement tool to help you understand where you are or where you are not. And if we use this mirror as, a, as our daily reflection, we will begin to understand when Pastor was preaching so hard and so passionate about lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. When he first came out with that, I mean, it made sense. Lacking nothing. We were teaching prosperity and all these things. So we should be lacking nothing. But how do you accomplish that? How do you accomplish lacking nothing? Because the truth be told, there's a good percentage of us that we'll, when we hear these messages, as great as they are, as empowering, as impacting as they are, when you go look at your bank account, and you want to be lacking nothing, you really do want to be lacking nothing, but when you look at your account, you realize you are still lacking stuff. So how do we overcome? How do we get to a place where we lack nothing or no thing? We have to stay in this word. And staying in this word means more than just reading the word. Right? So when you look into the mirror of the word of God, you've got to see what God is saying. When pastor told us about uh, prophets being seers, we have to become seers. We have to actually see what the word is saying, not just comprehend it. We've got to see it because it's nothing like if you decide you want a new car, right? You go to a car lot, to a new car. You find a perfect car. You, it's got everything you want in it. You sit in it. You test drive it. But it's not until you sign the deal that the car is yours. You can sit in it all you want. You can drive all you want. But at the end of that test drive, you got to give up the car. And all too often, what's happening in, 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 the, in the people of faith is we're test driving God's word. We're not signing the deal. And the reason we're not signing the deal is we don't understand the deal. We can't see the deal the way God wrote the deal. We only see the deal the way it's on paper. You know, 
I think about this all the time. It's like when, I, when we read the stories in the Bible, the things that actually happen, the miraculous stories, it's like we can kind of like, oh, yeah, wow, that was awesome. That must have been. But since we weren't there, we really don't understand what took place. But, but we begin to understand when we have situations that happen in our life, when we go through stuff and we realize it was only God that brought us through. We can understand that because we've gone through it. We've seen it. We've seen it. We already put our hands on it. But when it comes to the word of God, when these things like, you know, we talk about the Red Sea. Who in here seen the Red Sea be a part of it? So it can sound like this fabulous story about the Red Sea being parted. But the thing is, when you go through the word chapter for chapter, book for book for book, and you see all these stories, you begin to wonder, how can these just be stories? Why? Would God just give us a book full of stories? It's because we weren't there. We don't see it the way he's saying it. We are not convinced of it completely. There's certain things in life that we are convinced about. If I say, Miss Pauline, you're a woman. <laughs> you convinced of that. So there's nothing I can say or do to change your mind. If I say, Elder, you're a man. You see, it's more than the fact that anatomically they know she's female and he's male. It's more than that. You see, it's because they have spent time living that. So, so it, it's the same as if, if, um, if I came and I said, uh, sir, I know that the people told you your name was Christopher. But because of circumstances beyond your control, your name is now changed to Scott. You're not going to accept that. Because you've been Christopher for too long. That's just a part of who you are. That is who you are. So why is it that this word that's been around for as long as, as it has been, why is it that we struggle or we choke to take hold of this word, to, to believe it for exactly what it says it is. It's been here for a long time. Regardless of your age, the word has been here. And the same story it's been telling for over 2,000 years and then some, it's the same story for today. So, so I believe, and this is a personal belief based on scripture that as far as my interpretation, I believe as a result of what the word is saying to us because we have had it for whatever length of time we had in our lives, we don't just automatically accept it until the word's been using a lot tonight, proven. 
A lot of times we will not believe wholeheartedly what the word says until it's proven to us. But you know what fascinates me? You can take an unbeliever, a non-believer, or a heathen, and let something happen to them. And they go hollering, oh, Jesus. That just trips me out. But if you try to invite them to offer them salvation, you try to invite them into the church, somehow that becomes a different Jesus. It does. It becomes a different Jesus. Because they've heard about Jesus, but they've never had a relationship with Jesus. They don't understand. So, quickly, <laughs> I want to show y'all something that God showed me. Um, some very familiar scriptures. First, I want to start at Psalms 139, 13 through 18. I'm going to go jump right into the Passion Translation, please. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> you form my innermost being, shaping my delicate, delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so myst mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who you, saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you are thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I awake each morning, you are still with me. And I want to do one of these, I, that was slick, Pastor did the other day. Uh, he married a scripture. And that scripture I want to marry to this is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle. Over all the earth. Let me say that again. Over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. 
we've got to understand who we are in God's eyes. We talk about honoring God. And one of the, one of the, the ways I think and I see, especially lately, of honoring God is understanding who God created you to be and how he created you. You see, um, the Bible talks about in, in Genesis, you know, when, when God began to form the earth and, and all those things, you know, he just spoke them and they just existed. But when it came to man, he could have did the same thing. He could have just, man, woman. But he took his time. He made it personal. He became intimate with man's creation. So much so that when he created man, then he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So then he put man to sleep, took a rib from him, and created a woman. Did y'all catch that? He took a rib from the man and created a woman. He created all kind of animals just by speaking. But when it came to man, he took his time. He was very specific. He was very precise when it came to man. And not only did he create man in that, ma in that fashion, but look what he gave man. He gave him dominion over the whole earth. He gave us from the beginning all the power that we needed. So I go back to that question that I was asking God. How is it that we lack stuff? Because your word says you gave us everything. And God actually answered me. He said, because you're missing it. You're missing my word. Stop reading me like a book. I am not just a book. I am life. You see what I did with Adam? I am life. Adam had no life. Adam came from the dust of the earth, but I breathed the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. And I, I don't mean this facetious. I don't mean this to be a joke. I really don't. I just provoking a thought. Aside from the natural human um, um, man and woman coming together and creating a child, has anyone else ever done yourself or seen someone else just create life just like God did? We got to get this. We got to get this because we have become so conditioned to the way life is created now that we miss how God created life in the beginning. And that causes us to have this buildup in our mind where we become so conditioned of how we act towards God that it just becomes just this routine of what we do. That's why we end up needing these lessons, these teachings about honor. We become so complacent of how we are, are, how we are towards God. But then worse than that, even within ourselves, 
Lord had to show me this. Even when in ourselves, the way God took his time to have me created, it's like I owe him. I owe him honor. I don't have a choice. I owe him honor. And how I live my life. I owe him honor how I treat people. Because I'm his reflection. And if I'm doing something contrary to what he's saying, then I am not reflecting God. I'm simply reflecting me. I think about when we get in arts with people or somebody did us wrong, what have you, and so forth. How we're so willing to carry that thing. Rather than being a reflection of God and letting it go and actually forgiving somebody. Most people here can relate to somebody doing something wrong to you. And you had nothing to do with it or it wasn't your fault at all, whatever the case may be. They just whatever. And depending on how bad they did you, determine how long it took you to let go. And I wonder, I wonder what it would have been like for us if God had the same mindset. I really don't think Jesus would have been on the cross. If he acted like we act. Listen, um, <laughs> let's go to James uh, 1 real quick. 22 through, 22 through 25. And it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. That's the word of God. That's not something I made up. It has been the word of God since it's been written. So when we get caught up in the emotions of quoting scripture sometimes, uh, be a doer, not a hero only, and all that kind of stuff, be mindful of what you said. Be very mindful of what you're saying. Because if you're not careful, you'll be saying those things, and the very thing that you're saying is the very thing you're actually doing. In other words, you're not being a hearer and a doer. You're just being a hearer and a talker. We've got to understand the intensity of the word of God and how real it is and how it's the life-changing word that we all live by. And we've heard about this tongue in our mouth. The power of the tongue in our mouths. So it's so easy sometimes, 
And I, I'm so grateful for my wife. I ain't kidding y'all. I'm so grateful for my wife because she be checking me. <laughs> as far as the thing I say, because I'm, I'm, you know, I like to joke. I like the kid, what have you. I like, you know, that stuff. But she, she constantly reminds me, you know, of the things that you say. You may not mean anything by it. You really may. It may be funny to you, what have you. But you don't understand. You don't know how it's affecting the person you're saying it to. You know, and it just it just reminds me, you know, the more and more I think about the power of the tongue, you know, death and life and the power of the tongue. It's like, man, it's just like, Lord, forgive me, because I mean, I probably spoke death on some people unintentionally. But, you know, if so, it, you when you start doing it, you know, and you don't think much of it, it's like you start doing it. It becomes part of who you are, your makeup and your mouth is always saying things. So that's why, that's why it's so key, it's so important that we always find ourselves looking in the mirror of the word of God to see what we're doing as it relates to the word of God. Are we reflecting God's image? You see, because the image that we're supposed to be reflecting is not the physical man. You don't look like God as far as a physical man. The reflection we're supposed to be given of God is the glorious God. The honorable God. These are the things people will see and say, oh, that's God-like. That's God-like. We're supposed to be set aside. We're supposed to be different. Now, if we all end up at the bar, something's wrong. Or the club. Or under the tree. Something's wrong. Supposed to be different. I'm gonna tell y'all a true quick story. That I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put this disclaimer out at first when it happened made me mad. But as always, we were at Publix the other day, and I and I really like Seagram's ginger ale sodas. It's a particular size in Publix that I get. I go I sent my daughter the first night and she couldn't find. Them. I'm thinking she didn't know where to look. I go in the next day, lo and behold, shelf empty, they're not there. So it happens to be one of the little people, the guys in there working there, he asked me to help me, and I told him what I was looking for. And he said, well, let me check in the back. He went in the back, no, nothing. He said, let me talk to my boss, talk to my boss. This is soda, y'all. Let me talk to my boss. He talked to his boss. His boss find, finds out there are that particular soda that I'm looking for next door in the liquor store. Wait, now wait, because I'm telling you, I'm being, I'm being transparent now. I'm being transparent. I wanted my ginger ale so much, I'm ready to go. Because they don't sell three for four dollars, but they got five over there. I'm, I'm ready to go clean them out, right? I tell my wife, oh, baby, they got them over there. Look, so I'm going to go over there. I don't want you to go over there. Man, I'm just going to get a ginger ale. I don't drink. I'm going to get a ginger ale. And, and what she said immediately, it's like. <laughs> but then she walked off and did her little thing and so forth in the store. And then moments later, God began to deal with me right then and there, right then and there. It's like, why you got to have that so bad that you willing to go over there to get it? I mean, like, that's the only place that have them. Now, for me, 
again, my thinking at that point is like, wasn't where it's supposed to be, but after the fact, I thought about it, and the Lord was dealing with me on this, like, now you could have went over there, and somebody who don't like you see you going to the liquor store. Next thing you know, you all over Facebook, old Twitter. Oh, he drank, y'all. He drank. And he talking about he a preacher. But that's how easy this stuff happens, man. That's why we have to stay in the mirror. We got to understand always who we represent, who we're supposed to be reflecting. We have to. It's easy to make those simple decisions that you end up trying to uncover or clean off of you. Even when you didn't do nothing wrong. Be careful where you walk. Be careful what you say. Be careful who you hang around. Everything and everybody ain't good for you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Woo. Wow. Amen. <laughs> let me let me let me give this little thing right here because um, it's been keep, this keeps coming up in the house and other places watching on TV and so forth. And real quick, let's go over to uh, Matthew 14. We're going to do 24 through 31. This is talking about our brother Peter when he was on the boat and Jesus came walking in the water, on the water. And it says, this was after a big meeting that had gone on and so forth, and Jesus went up to the hill to pray, and the disciples was on the boat. They were in the middle of the water and so forth, and then uh, Jesus came walking on the water, and we know the story tells us that, you know, when they saw him, they were afraid, and they said, it's a ghost. And Jesus had to try to calm him down. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's, this messed me up. Lord, if it is you, comma. Let's just sit there a minute. Get that in you. Go back. If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked, out, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the winds were boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I find this a very fascinating story because the more I hear it, the more I study, the more God reveals stuff to me. It's like the more I begin to see, and I'm not just reading a story, I, I begin to see almost as if I'm there, see this happening and so forth. And it's, it's pretty amazing, actually. Um, you know, when Peter said, 
if it be you, Lord, you know, tell me to come to you. And then Jesus says, come. And we've heard recently, he didn't say Peter come, he just said come. So that, that opened the door for the other disciples as well to come. And interesting enough, at that moment of time, Peter had faith to go ahead and get out because he was believing Jesus was there as Jesus was going to be his rendezvous. So he got out and he began to walk on water. But then when the winds and the waves were so boisterous and rising up, Peter, for a moment in time, he got distracted. And he turned away. Or he did something where he was not totally focused on Jesus, and he began to look at his surroundings around him. And this is, this is what really, for me, I don't know what's going to do for you, but um, once that happens, the word says he begins sinking. Now, let's just grave you that for a minute. He's walking on water, and when he starts paying attention to his surroundings, he begins sinking. Now, my total life experiences have been, if I'm in the water, if, I'm, if I start on the top of the water, I immediately drop, right? But Peter began walking on the water. When he got distracted, he began sinking. He didn't just go under. He began sinking. So this is almost like this is happening in slow motion. He's sinking. But, but on top of that, it says, when he cried out to Jesus to help me, immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand. Did y'all get that? Yeah. You get that? You see, as Elder Williams said earlier, don't quit. Peter quit. But he quit right in the face of Jesus. You see, he asked Jesus to grant him to come to him. And as he began coming to him, he started focusing on other things. He got out of the word because the word was standing in front of him. And he began focusing on other things. And he began sinking right in the presence of Jesus. A lot of times we get into the word of God or we get so caught up in the word of God and we're trying to get to God, but we start getting distracted. And as we get distracted, we begin sinking. And we're wondering why we're not in a position of lacking nothing because we're being distracted by these things in life instead of standing on the word of God, believing it as it is because we see it for what God says it is. If God said we ought to be rich, have your mind sold out. Don't question it. Give up on trying to figure out how it's going to happen. Just simply trust the word. Declare a thing. Decree a thing. Make up your mind. If God said it, that's it. I don't need to fix it. I don't need to make it happen. I couldn't have created myself. But God did. That's not convincing enough. When he healed me, I couldn't have healed myself. But when he did it, that wasn't enough? 
See, we don't have to go back 2,000 years ago. We can deal in the right now. The right now. All the testimonies up in this house, we can deal in the right now. That God is still alive and still working on us on our behalf. We can deal in the right now. It's about making up your mind. You know, one of the biggest failures I think that we have is when we are part of a house, um, if your mind is not sold out, you begin, <laughs> you turn into a judge. You turn into a judge. We turn into a judge. If your mind's not sold out about the word of God. You know, and, and, and I've known the, the Andersons, pastors Andersons, for the 20 years plus, because I met them that long ago, not here per se, but when it was Soul Harvest, and, and we were kind of in the same circles. And I've known him that long. I've known him on a personal level. It wasn't just, oh, that's Pastor Anderson. No, we shook hands, we talked, whatever, and so on and so forth. So I knew him to that degree. And I can say honestly, no matter what their struggles have been, no matter what their trials and tribulations have been, I can say I've never seen a different man from the first man I saw. And I'm saying that because it was, it was easy when we came to be a part of this house, it was easy to sit under him and sit under Pastor Kim and not throw stones and not cast judgment or have all this doubt. Why y'all keep talking about money? It was easy. It, and I didn't come from a prosperity teaching place. I didn't. But to come in here and have that, it was easy because I knew the character of the people. I knew he was not trying to put his hands in my pocket. I knew he was earnestly, honestly trying to give me what God has shown him. We sat and we talked. And when we talked, it's like, that's it. I don't need to come and attend six, seven services. That's it. It's done. This is what family and I, we, that's where we're going to sit. It's done. But see, that came from that 20 plus years of seeing the consistency in the man and woman of God. That helped me not to come in and judge. Because you know, tell the truth, y'all. And y'all tell the truth by yourself. Don't, don't tell it in this room. <laughs> There's been some judgment that's gone on, whether it was this house or another house. There has. There's been some judgment. And yet, when it comes to the word of God, we're supposed to just... Follow the man of God, honor the man of God, give respect to the man of God, man and woman of God, just because that's what the word says. It says that do double honor, double honor. And if you allow yourself to sit in a position of judgment, then not only are you not giving them their honor that's due, you're now dishonoring God. Last thing, because I'm just trying to jump through this. I, I just can't help myself. I, these things, it's like, this is happening. It's like. I had to keep it real tight so nobody peeked. Started talking about mirrors. Obviously, these are mirrors. You can't see the mirror part because I'm purposely keeping it 
concealed. Um, when we walk this life and um, we're not sure about, we're not convinced about the word of God, we tend to do things that cause our mirrors to look like this one. I don't know if everybody can see it, but there's some not so nice words on here. <laughs> this is how we, this is what we see when we look in the mirror. This is what we see when we look in the word of God. Right? For one reason or another, one word or another, you might own two or three of them, but this is what we see when we don't honor God. We don't get into the face of God through his word. This is what happens to us. When the idea is, we really want it to look like this. We really want, we hear all these good and great things and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, when you get saved, you think, you know, <laughs> the world is just gravy from then on. It's just no more problems. Everything's easy, simple, and just no problems. This is what we want it to look like. But see, because of 1 John 1, 9. <laughs> God can take this and do this. You see, we might look at this, and this is not paint. This is a marker. But God, God, his word helps us to not do this also. Because when we do it, it's, it looks like this. <laughs> it looks like this. You see, that's why we have the aid of the Holy Ghost. See, we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to know everything there is to know. I'm not going to do this part, but I'm just going to show you for sake. We have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will take this mirror and make it look like this mirror. See? But you've got to get in here to understand and know that and to use that. You have to. Because if you don't, man, you'll be, you'll be that person that's always looking around, trying to figure out, and always questioning and doubting, even the word. And sometimes, God, why not me? Why can't I have that testimony? Why can't I have that increase in my life? Why? You know, why is that person always getting blessed? It make you think, if you ain't careful, it make you think the people that are blessing them kind of watching this service on TV. <laughs> just to keep blessing them. But I found out through the word of God, no, they ain't watching nothing. Not, not on TV. No, 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 no. They're watching the reflection of God on those people. It moves people to bless you when God's reflection is shown. Because now his glory, <laughs> his glory is shining. And his glory has that tendency to draw people to do things. It, it, it has the tendency to draw people to do things that people normally would not do. Yeah. Then you people up here tell them testimonies about, I don't know why they gave you this money. Wake up. The glory of God on your life. 
It draws, it commands blessings. So listen, y'all, if I leave nothing else, let me leave this. The mirror of God is important to our daily lives. Daily lives. We can't just accept it for the surface anymore. We've got to get in it and understand by seeing what he's saying so that it becomes real to us. It becomes a way of life to us. It no longer is something that we hope for. It's something that we just believe, that we now walk in it. You know, I look for the day that, man, it's so many people in this house that are lacking nothing, living in abundance, and paymasters of the gospel. I am rooting for each and every, just like we are working towards, I'm rooting for everybody in this house. I, I'm not satisfied with one or two or three. I want the whole house of God to be blessed in such a way because, you know, we are the centerpiece, as Pastor has told us. We're the centerpiece. Who wants a centerpiece that's kind of half-made? Our centerpiece has to be beautiful on all sides. Top and bottom. And the way that happens, the word. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.